And we are live. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Fresh Fit Podcast. As you guys can see, we've got a different background Our here. Our new studio, bro. Yeah. We're the captain <laughs> now. Shout out to Ryan Pinedo for, for being a great host and letting us borrow the studio. Let's get into it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, guys. Welcome to Fresh Fit Podcast. We're here with Ryan Pineda, man. We're really excited to be here. Thank you for hosting us. In yeah. Vegas, man. Yeah, Crazy. appreciate you guys coming by, man. Yeah, man. Um, so, question. I've seen some of your content before. Uh, really big into real estate investing. Got your money right. This is something that a lot of guys need to take seriously nowadays. But for the audience members that might not know who you are, can you introduce yourself to the people? Yeah, the quick version is um, today, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. We've got six different seven, eight-figure businesses. Um, a lot of those are real estate-based, so... You know, we'll flip over 100 homes a year. We own over 550 rental units. Um, we got education, events, got a tax company. Um, so a lot of stuff on the on entrepreneurial side. But, you know, before I was an entrepreneur, I was a professional baseball player. Mm. So I got drafted by the Oakland A's in 2010 and, you know, played in the minor leagues for many years. Mm. Uh, never got to the big leagues. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I didn't make any money playing baseball. Yep. I was making 1200 bucks a month. Wow. Yeah, just living on that. Still proto. Still a pro. Still pro. Getting Still paid pro. for it. Getting paid to play, right? Yeah. Um, but I had to get side hustles because, like, I was pursuing my dream playing baseball, and, uh, you know, I had to go survive. Mm -hmm. So that's how I kind of fell into entrepreneurship. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just mm -hmm. wanted to play baseball. Ryan, take us back to when you were a kid. What do you think inspired you to want to get into business after all, eventually, you would say? Well, like I said, I mean, I just – I was focused on sports, man, mm -hmm. and – you know, growing up, I was always good. You know, I got a D1 scholarship, and then I got drafted and all that. So, Where'd like, you go play D1 at? Uh, Cal State Northridge. Okay. So, you know, did all that. And so I was like, dude, I'm, I'm on the path. Like, everything's going to plan. And I'll, I'll get rich when I get to the big leagues. But uh, obviously, it didn't work out. And I just started to think about, like, man, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. And I look back at my parents. I didn't know this when I was growing up. You know, you're asking about the beginning. But both of my parents were entrepreneurs. My mom was a realtor. And my dad owned a little convenience store. Mm. 
And so, you know, I watched them be able to work whenever they wanted, right? As an entrepreneur, we set our own schedule. We can make as much as we want to make, right? And so I was like, oh, well, if I want to go pursue baseball, I need something flexible. And, you know, entrepreneurship's the way. Mm. Now, you, did you grow up in California originally? No, born and raised here in Vegas. In Vegas. Yeah. Okay. So you went to, so you, so you grew up and was raised here. This is home. And then you went off to college to play baseball yep. for the Bears, right? Uh, not, Cal State Cal Northridge. We are the Matadors. Matador. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, and then <clears throat> you did that. You had your scholarship, went pro. At what point did you realize, okay, I got to do something else. I got to transition. Yeah, dude. I mean, when I got drafted, I wasn't a high round pick. Yeah. So I knew I was going to have to like start working immediately. Yeah. And so I got my real estate license that same year in 2010. So okay. I was a 21 year old. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'll just be a realtor and try and make some money on the side. So playing baseball during the day, hustling houses at night or vice versa. One Pretty of the much. Two. But why did okay. you say real estate? When did you say, you know what, that's where I want to go at least start with? Honestly, I had no desire to do real estate. Um, my mom, like I said, had been a realtor. Okay. And she's like, real estate's good. Like, you should just, if you're trying to get something right away, like, just get your license. Anyone can do it. And I was like, all right. But what I didn't know was in 2010, it was literally the hardest time to be a realtor. You know, realtors complained today. Right after the market crashed. Yeah, oh, the, the market had crashed. Yeah. Everyone was bankrupt. No one had money. And guess what? The prices were so low <laughs> that if you did sell something, you made like no money. No yeah. margins, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So it was tough. I didn't know it at the time, but I was like, dude, being a realtor sucks. <laughs> were, you, were you a realtor here in Nevada or in California? Here in Vegas. Here, yeah. in, here in Vegas. Yep. Speaking of Vegas, well, you know, I'll leave that one for, for after because I, I, do, I did notice quite a bit of difference from Vegas from the last time I came. Um, but uh, so... You mentioned earlier that you were flipping houses and, you know, that's currently what you do now. For the audience that might not know what that means, can you break that down, what flipping a house is? Yeah, so, you know, the traditional way of flipping a house is, you know, you just get a really good deal, fix it up. You know, you got to go get the money to buy it, obviously. Then you fix it up, go relist it, flip it, make a profit, right? Um, and that was how I got started. And, um, you know, most people never want to start because they're like, oh, well, I need all this money to flip. And it's like, no, there's actually a lot of ways to flip without using any of your own money, right? You can yep. use other people's money. Um, and then there's also things like wholesaling, which I got into later where I was like, wow, I don't even need to like fix it up or buy it at all. I can just sell the contract. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we've been doing that the last eight years. Mm. Can you uh, break down, because wholesaling is something that uh, a lot of people in our audience ask about quite a bit, okay. as far as for guys that like, you know, don't have the capital maybe to go ahead and get into real estate. Yeah. Um, how would one go about doing that? Yeah, I think wholesaling is a great way to go about, like for somebody starting, because like you said, you don't need a lot of capital. So for like those unfamiliar, the one minute version of wholesaling is this, like Myron has a house and I go and get it under contract for $300,000, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that Fresh will pay three twenty dollars for it, right? And so instead of me just buying it for three hundred dollars and then selling it after the fact and paying all these fees and getting the money, I can just assign my rights to the deal to Fresh for the difference. And so, you know, when it comes time to close, he sends three twenty, dollars you get three hundred dollars as the seller, I get twenty dollars as the wholesaler, and, like, it's like that. I mean... Mm -hmm. It just is money out of thin air. It's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, because you're connecting buyers to sellers and you're doing your due diligence to find good deals for them and then you bring it to the real estate investor and they basically buy it. 100%. Um, so you mentioned also fixing and flipping, which, you know, the, the, or the Burr method. Can you break that down for the people real quick, how that works and how one can go about doing it without money? Yeah, so... 
The bird method and fix and flipping are basically getting the same kind of deal, but with different exit strategies. Okay. So basically for a, a burr to work, which, you know, burr stands for buy, um, renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat. Yeah. Basically what you have to do is get a property all in at 80% of whatever it's going to be worth. We call it ARV after repair value. And so if I know that this house is worth say $500,000 ARV, I know I need to be all in at after it's fixed, after it's fixed, yep. I need to be all into the deal at 400 purchase price and renovation. Because what's going to happen is if I get all in at 400,000, if I fix it up and you know, everything looks good. I have two choices. Number one, I can go flip it, just throw it back on the market and go try and make probably 60 K on that deal. Cause you're going to have all your other expenses and realtor fees and money costs and all that. Right. So that's one Avenue, go flip it, make 50, 60 K. The other Avenue is go out and just get a, a loan on it and refinance it. And mm -hmm. the cool thing is when you get a loan, they'll give you the appraised value now. Yep. So hey, this house is worth 500, we'll give you 80% loan to value. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm all into it for 400 and it's worth five, they'll refinance me the entire thing and I can be into it no money into the deal Yep, and own it forever. That's, that's yeah. The, the re refinancing is like a glitch in the matrix, man. And it's tax-free money as well, which is like... Tax-free money, mm -hmm. you get depreciation and tax write-offs. I mean, people don't know this, but you know, if you're in the 40% tax bracket, let's just talk about the ultra-wealthy, like... The reason they don't pay taxes is because if I buy that $500,000 home, there's something called depreciation that happens. And if I do something called a cost segregation analysis, yep. you know, I can basically get on average 20 to 30% of the total price as a write-off. Right. So let's just say, you know, if for the non-structural stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, all right, $500,000 home, I might be able to go get a $100,000 write-off this year. And it's like, if I pay 40%, that's $40,000 yep. that I get to keep now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, rentals are the way that people build really long-term wealth and, you know, don't pay taxes today. Yeah. No, Smart. it's it's wild, man. Because And that's why I, I got into real estate because I pay less taxes now than I did when I was working for the government with making like 10 times less the money. So <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, it's wild, man. And, and real estate really is like the best way to you know avoid paying a lot of taxes and, and it's all legal and this is how it's why people like trump like don't show their tax returns right because yeah. they don't they're just like oh well, i pay less taxes than everybody else i don't want people to get mad so um so you did the fixing and flipping we had a conversation right before and you were saying that you had flipped 50 houses right before you got on youtube no so i had uh but at that point i had like flipped a hundred or multiple hundreds but I had 50 going on at, okay. that, at time, that time active. Can you take us through that, man? Like, what was that like <laughs> working on 50 deals of flipping while simultaneously starting a YouTube channel during one of the, you know, a scary time, I guess, as far as like the pandemic going? Yeah. So, you know, I had been running my flipping business since 2015 and, you know, I wasn't like I knew social media was important, but I, I was just using it like casually to get deals of like, hey, guys, I'm flipping houses. If you got deals. Send them, them to, to me. me. If you yeah. got money and you want to invest, invest with me. That was it. Well, the pandemic hit, you know, and I'm into my career. Like every year, 2018, 2019, we had flipped over 100 homes each of those years. So I go into 2020. And when you're flipping 100 homes, you're usually going to have 40, 50 active, you know, and maybe 15 are under construction, 15 are on the market, 15 are, you know, in escrow to sell. And another five are just kind of sitting there waiting to get started. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And that's kind of where I was at. You know, the world shut down and I'm sitting there looking at my, my houses and everybody's like, the market's going to tank. We're going into this massive recession. And I'm like, dude, you know, I've got like 50 homes right now. Fire sale. Yeah. Well, I'm just thinking you can't even fire sell some of them because nobody can buy like, yeah. and some of them aren't done. They're not renovated. So you're like, what's going to happen here? And granted, in my mind, I was pretty confident like we were going to be fine because I was like, dude, this is all fake. Like that you can't just shut businesses down and expect the government to not do something about it. Yeah. And so I, I was figuring there was going to be some kind of bailout, but still I couldn't go to the office. I couldn't like go on seller appointments. We, it was very hard to get deals because people were scared. And so I was like, what do I do with all my time? And so like other people, I was just sitting there in my house and I just turned on YouTube and I wasn't even like a big YouTube watcher, but I just turned it on. And, you know, I asked uh, people on Instagram at that time. I had like 5,000 Instagram followers. I was like, who are like the biggest people to watch on Instagram? Who do you guys like? And they start naming all these names. And I'm like, okay. So I start turning on these guys and um, then you know, they're talking about real estate. And I'm like, dang, how many deals are these guys doing? And who are you watching at that point? <laughs> I was watching like my now friends, Graham Stefan and yeah. Meet Kevin and these guys. Yeah. And I was like, how many deals are these guys doing? And they're like, yeah, you know, I've got like five rental properties. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, that's like, you're <laughs> like, what? what? Amateur? Oh, I yeah. got so many more. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. like, wait, why? why are these the biggest guys? And I, I didn't understand it. Yeah. But at the time, instead of like being a hater or getting mad, like yeah. my, my other friends would, who are in the real estate industry, they'll be yeah. like, they were like, yeah, they oh, hate yeah. YouTubers probably. Yeah. They're like, dude, these guys freaking ain't doing anything I'm doing, blah, blah, blah. And like, instead of being a hater, I looked at what they were doing. I was like, they're smarter than us. Mm -hmm. Like they're making more money with no risk, just making videos and I'm out here taking millions and millions of dollars of risk. I'm managing construction crews. I'm talking to sellers. Like, I'm doing way harder work yeah. and with way more risk. And I'm like, I'm the dummy. I should be on that camera doing what I do. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I just was like, I'm making YouTube videos. And, and so, like, I ended up actually just consuming all their content. And they both had courses on how to make YouTube channels and stuff. And I was like, I'll watch it. These guys are successful. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I started making videos during the pandemic. But isn't it That's funny, right around right? the same time we Those started? Those creators well. that you see yeah. online, like you have the knowledge yourself. Mm -hmm. So you kind of like package it in a way where they can understand, people can understand at a lower level, so to speak. But your knowledge is already in you. Just talk about it online. Mm -hmm. Why not? Well, and that's why they're very successful and they still are to this day is like yeah. they know their audience is very much beginners and yes. everyone else. And so yes. they're they're dumbing it down like in a great way. And I do the same. Right. I could talk about way more complex stuff, but it's like 90 percent of the world is like trying to get their first deal. Yeah. So how do I help people get their first deal? I don't forget. Uh, Graham had a course about YouTube and you said when you whenever you're making videos, you have to dumb it down to like a level where people can understand for the, for beginners because most people that watch YouTube are kind of like at a beginning stage. Mm -hmm. So you're right. So I have a question for you. Uh, so you said you were rehabbing all these houses. You had all these um, fix and flips going on. How are you able to get? And I guess this is I'm asking this curious as a real estate investor myself. How are you able to get people to like um, rehab and fix it with supply chain issues during the pandemic? with uh, construction companies wanting to focus on commercial deals versus maybe residential deals, or maybe you were doing commercial flips. How were you able to get people to like do your projects? You know, at least on the flipping side, we didn't have a lot of those supply issues that others did. Okay. You know, like I know there was a huge lumber shortage. Yes. Like for us flipping houses, we didn't really need lumber. Like okay. everything's cosmetic. It's yep. just like, we're just 
fixing what's already there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, with contractors, it was actually very easy for us to find contractors, at least during that time, because everybody was scared. Like nobody was buying houses and they were like, oh dude, like we don't want to, at least in our space. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I was one of the only guys who continued to buy throughout COVID, at least for like the two months we were locked up. Yeah. And the contractors were like, dude, like we're with you because okay. everybody else was scared. So you were employing them while everyone else was too scared to take the risks. Yeah. So they kind of stuck by you. And even when they did have other projects, they still stuck by you. And yeah. And, and a lot of these guys have been with me for years, right? Mm -hmm. Like they know I'm always going to keep buying. And so, you know, that they don't really think the grass is green. They're like, dude, I know if I stay with this guy, I'm going to have consistent work. So you have those, you had those connections built up. Were you doing this exclusively here in the Las Vegas area or were you doing it in other States as well? Um, just mainly Vegas. I mean, mainly we've Vegas. done flips in Cali and Arizona and other places, but like 99% in Vegas. What would you say are some of the best real estate markets to invest in nowadays? No. Yeah. You know, it really depends what you're looking for. Um, I always tell people this, right? Like if you're flipping houses or wholesaling, you can do it anywhere. Yeah. Right. Like it doesn't, a deal is a deal. Okay. But if you're investing for the long term and you're trying to pick something that, Hey, 10 years from now, it's going to have been a good choice. You need to really look at like whether or not you're going for appreciation or cash flow. Yeah. Because it's very hard to have both. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. when you look at, you know, places like Las Vegas, Miami, mm -hmm. California, Texas, these are all appreciation markets. Yes. You know, the last five years, Miami's gone nuts. It's went wild. <laughs> Vegas too. Vegas. When nuts. I came here, I, I was shocked at how much traffic there was here. And I was like, you know, it's all these California migrants, man, that have come here oh, yeah? after the pandemic. And same thing we're experiencing in Florida. All the New Yorkers and people from the Northeast left because they're like, why am I paying all this rent when I could be in the sun working from home? So, it's, so Florida's real estate market has went up crazy, especially Miami. And yeah. so I've noticed here Vegas as well. Yeah, 100%. And so what's funny is, like, if you would have bought a house five years ago in Vegas, like, let's just take a $300,000 home. Like, good neighborhood. Three bedroom, two bath. Yeah, standard. nice house. That house would have rented for, like, $1,800. And so like, if you do the math and you get a mortgage on 300,000, you're like, oh, well the rent or the mortgage would have been 1800 and the rent's 18. Like, it's not a good deal, Yep. but you look five years later in hindsight and you're like, well, that house is now worth five to 600,000. That house now rents for 3000 plus. Like <laughs> that was the house. Yep. Right. And you know, that's the thing with appreciation markets. Like if you can ride them out, like you'll be good. And that's why like, you know, I don't know if you guys ever talk about Grant Cardone, but like, you know, he was here a couple of months ago and I was interviewing him and, mm -hmm. you know, for him, he gets a lot of slack because he's always buying like grade A, just yeah. crazy properties. 32 units plus commercial like big, big. Yeah. Yeah. yeah huge. Like, yeah. Like multiple hundred million dollar buildings in Miami yeah. and all these Fort things. Fort Lauderdale. Right? Yep. yep. And you know, they, they don't seem like great deals. Like he's paying market value and people are like, oh, well the return sucks. And it's like, yeah, but like, let's see in five to 10 years. Yep what those buildings are like. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're going to invest long-term, you got to really look at a 10 year time horizon. And so like for me, I'm a big believer in appreciation markets like Florida, Vegas, Texas, and basically like these Southern markets, right? Yeah. What I, what I don't like is, you know, like Midwest markets. And it's not like that. I don't like the Midwest. Oh, you don't like the, Oh, okay. All right. Well, we have apartments in the Midwest and apartments are a different thing. So I'm, let's talk about single family. Yep. Like yep. in the single family space, if you're going to go the cash flow markets, they're typically going to be cheaper homes in the Midwest. And so, man, you could go buy houses in the Midwest for like 10 grand. Yeah. You could go buy them for a hundred grand. Right. And like, 
you look at the numbers and you're like, okay, I can get this house for a hundred grand. It rents for a thousand bucks. I can get this house for 150. It rents for 1500. Right. And you're like, I can't get that in Florida. Yeah. I can't get that in Vegas. But here's the thing, you know, five, 10 years from now, what's that house worth? Yep. The house might be worth 200, mm -hmm. you know, max. Yeah. And it, it, it might rent for whatever, but in 10 years, you give me the appreciation market in a good area. Also, like with those uh, other markets, they're newer homes too. Like Vegas, we have newer construction. There's less maintenance. The Midwest homes can be a hundred years old. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they, and they have harsh weather. They have more repairs. Yep. So like, I look at all those factors and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I would sacrifice less cash flow today for the way bigger payday 10 years from, years now. from now. Okay. And you know, it's interesting because when I was here about two years ago, I called it. I was like, Vegas is going to be a great real estate market to be in because I saw a lot of new apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. I saw that the Raiders were coming here uh, with the new stadium. And uh, I also heard the Oakland A's are going to come over here as well yeah. uh, for baseball. Mm -hmm. So to me, I look at it like all these things are, you know, a plus for this market uh, building. And then also, let's be honest, L.A. sucks. <laughs> yeah. To, you know what I mean? Like yep. people are trying to get out of there and move somewhere that's uh, cheaper to live. And if I'm not mistaken, Nevada has no state income tax, right? No state income tax. So, the weather's good. Yeah. You know, LeBron, did you hear what LeBron said? He wants to buy the NBA team that's going to come here. Like, he's already oh. saying, like, hey, Vegas is getting an NBA team, and I want to own it. Wow. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and all these Even things. That. Like, paying attention to all these, like, little things. And I called it two years ago that I was like, I think Vegas is going to be a great real estate market, and bam, it's here. Yep. Um, is it too late for someone to get into real estate here in Vegas? No, dude, not at all. Not at all. Like, I actually was just talking to our team, right? So we've been buying a lot of multifamily because like, you know, it's like, that's the progression. You go from like wholesaler who's just getting started yep. to, hey, now I flip houses to now I got some rentals. Maybe I got some Airbnbs. Now I'm buying and holding. Yep. Now I'm going to go get some multifamily. And so like, that's what you see from a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I've done. But now I'm looking at it and I'm like, dude, you know, the last 13 years, I've been in, in real estate since 2010 here. I watched all the hedge funds, Blackstone, all these big guys start buying homes back in 2010. And they were paying 100%, 110% of market value. They were going to the auctions and buying 100 houses a day. Like, that's what they were doing. Damn. And all my friends who were back at those auctions back then um, were like, dude, these guys are crazy. They're stupid. Because as flippers, we're like, dude, we got to get it for you know, 60, 70%. Like we can't be paying hundred percent. We'll lose money. Yep. But Blackstone had a 10 year time horizon Yep. and they knew that, Hey dude, these prices are so low. Like we could pay 200% and like, it's still be good. It's going to be a good deal. And so they did, they, they bought homes for like seven, eight years straight. They exited 10 years later and made a few billion dollars mm -hmm. here in the Vegas market. And I was like, wow, I understand now having been in the game, like, why they did what they did. Mm -hmm. And now I look at it and even today we still wholesale a lot and there's hedge funds that buy from us and they still are just buying, holding for the next five, 10 years. Yep. They're going to exit. They're going to accumulate thousand plus homes and sell them off. What is your statement to the people that keep saying that the real estate market is going to crash? Don't buy now. Don't buy now. <laughs> oh, my God. The Fed keeps raising interest rates. I think they just raised them today. Another, I think, 25 basis points. Okay. Like, what is your message to all the people that keep saying that the real estate market is going to crash? Bro, I mean, they've been saying it literally <laughs> since 2010 when I got into real estate. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. So Please. I was a realtor, 2010, 
and I'm showing this house that uh, had just been built in 2008 here in Vegas, like 1,800 square feet, four bedroom, two bath, and it sold for like 350 back in 08. And I'm showing this house, and it's ninety thousand dollars. It had never been lived in. Damn. Like there was. So it was three fifty prior to the housing crash. Yep. And, and then it came down to ninety. Yep. Wow. Yeah, like prices dropped like eighty percent in Vegas, wow. right? So this house is ninety thousand dollars. I'm I'm twenty one years old, showing this house in two thousand and ten, and I'm telling the guy, I'm like, hey, this house sold just two years ago. Like literally everything's brand new. Like nobody's even lived in it. It just got foreclosed on. It's good. So he's walking through it, and I'm like, okay, so like, you, you ready to write it up an offer? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think we can offer? I'm like, dude, there's like no competition here. We can offer like whatever we want. And he's like, let's offer 70000 I'm like, okay, cool. So I go home. I, I do this DocuSign and send it to him. Call him up. I'm like, hey, it's in your e-box. He's like, hey, you know what, dude? I actually think the market's going to crash, and <laughs> I'm just going to wait it out. And I was like, I'm 21, you know, obviously I don't know a lot yet, but I'm like, but is it going to be free? Like (laughs) how much cheaper does the house get? You can't build a house for $90,000. Yeah. Um, And I was just like, dude, I need to be the investor. Yeah. This is at that point. Right. Like the house was going to rent for 1200 bucks. Like it was like a no brainer. And it was from that point forward, I was like, one day I'm going to be the investor. But point is, with that story... That, was that the turning point for you? You were like, <laughs> fuck this shit. I'm a- <laughs> well, I, in my mind, yeah, but it took me five years before I ever like fully did it. Yeah. Because I had all these limiting beliefs. I, didn't, I thought I needed all this money. Yeah. Like, so I didn't, it, it took me five years from that point to flip my first house. Yeah. But um, the, the point is, like, that guy thought the market was crashing. And I'll tell you, there was fear everywhere in 2010... Because all these people just got burned by real estate. Everybody was like, dude, real estate sucks. Why would you ever invest in that? You know, whatever, right? And then, you know, 2015, I start flipping. And they're like, dude, you missed it. Like, everything, it's going to crash. Like, we're due for another cycle. It's been eight years. And then, you know, we get the pandemic in 2020. And everyone's like, oh, it's going to crash. And then the biggest run we've ever had, period, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's just like. Interest rates were were under three percent. Yeah, I bought a bunch of houses that year, and I was just like, "This free is money. free money, free like, money, literally free money." How could you not invest? But people were still like, "Oh, I don't know if I should invest. It's going to be scary, man. You might lose your money." Blah blah blah. And it's like, dude, like, I mean, here's what I'll say: is like, whoever you are listening to, and what they're saying, look at their own credentials, right? Yep. If they're broke, why would you listen to them? Yeah. Like, watch Facts. what the smart money does. Mm-hmm. So, you, oh, go ahead. Can you tell us from your vast experience in real estate? Two mistakes, Ryan, that people make all the time when it comes to investing in real estate. Two mistakes. Two big mistakes. Yeah. Um, number one, th- this is the first big mistake, and it's why it took me five years to flip my first house, was that I thought I needed to like make all this money before I could invest. Yeah. Mm. And so like people will be like, should I get my real estate license first? Should I like do this first? Do I gotta save up like all this money for a down payment first? And so, like, they have always this, I got to do this first before they start. Yeah. And it's just not true, right? Like, if you had a deal right now that was 50% of market value, you don't think somebody would buy that from you and give you money for it? Like, you'll make a lot of money if you just find a really good deal. Yeah. So that's the first mistake. They think they need a bunch of money. They think they need all these credentials and stuff that they don't need, right? Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Um, Number two would be people just underestimate how much time it takes to find a good deal, right? Like, you know, we'll have people who join our coaching and they'll be like, hey, you know, um, 
I haven't got a deal yet. And it's been a month. And we're like, well, you know, when you're first getting started, it takes time. Like you're not gonna, you know, you might find a deal the first month, but odds are you're going to like build your foundation and the fundamentals. Like it's going to take time. And then once your foundation is built, then you start rolling. But you know, what they underestimate is the amount of deals you got to look through in order to get yeah, a deal, yeah, right? Yeah. So we'll always ask them, we're like, okay, you haven't got a deal yet. How many offers did you make? And they're like, oh, well, I only, I, I haven't made any offers this week. It's just <laughs> like, well, how are you going to get a deal? Yeah. <laughs> what do you expect? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, going back to what you were, we were talking about, the predictions as far as like the market crashing or whatever. The other thing too that like people don't know is that like Blackstone and all these like big companies, they're still buying single family homes like now. Right like, now. We they're still, still going them. crazy. Yeah. Like buying them. And and if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, we're like what, five million, five million homes short uh, for single family homes in the United States at this point. So it's like, if there's a, you know, if we don't have enough supply, how are we going to, how's the market going to crash? 1000%. So like, this was always my theory, even last year when they were raising rates, right? Yeah. Like people are like, oh, dude, rates, the market's going to tank. Now we had a soft correction. Like here yep. in Vegas, it corrected about 10%. Yep. Now we're, we're on the way back up Yep. right now. But my, my, this was my theory. I was like, hey, this is what I think is going to happen, okay? Number one, because rates are so high, you're going to have all these people who would have sold, but now they won't because they have a great rate, right? Like if you have a 3% rate on your home, are you selling? Hell, Hell no. <laughs> you're not even going to do a refi. No. Yeah. What, what are you going to buy? Yeah. Like it'll cost you more to rent. Yeah. And so all these, and, and did you know that 50% of the mortgages are 3% or under? So minus <laughs> you said you had a bunch. I you bought got a bunch. A, yeah. I got a bunch. Yep. I ain't selling any of mine that are 3%. Nope. Hell no. So you have all half of the homes with mortgages, 3% and under who do not want to sell. And the only way they'll sell is if like they absolutely had to. Right. Yep. So that limits supply. And then you have all these people who bought within the last 18 months. Okay. If you bought in the last 18 months, you're probably like either at break even or underwater. So you're not selling. You'll lose money if you try to sell. So that's a, another chunk of homes that aren't hitting the market. Mm -hmm. And so basically you have this chunk that's the remaining inventory. Mm -hmm. And you have all these buyers who are now like rates are what they are. Yeah. Like if I want to buy it, like I basically have no choice. I think also um, the thing that people fail to realize is that you got to look at the circumstances that led to the last crash, right? Which are no longer available, right? They were basically giving you a loan if you existed and had a pulse, <laughs> yeah. right? right? Versus like now it's much harder to get a loan than it was back in like 08, 07. Well, you guys would think it's funny. Like, you know, we had strippers here in Vegas, like having 10 houses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no credit no nothing, nothing. just like they're they're just like i got a bunch of cash yeah. like okay we'll give you a house like they were selling houses i'm an investor like, you know yeah so i i think the, thing. the um <laughs> the, between the housing shortage and then the fact that the banks are much more stringent upon like standards as far as like giving you a loan yep i, I there's no way there's going to be a crash that to that level at least one thousand percent plus you got to remember back before 2008 hedge funds didn't buy single family homes right like it was the only people that bought were primary homeowners and then like small mom and pop investors. Yep. And like, that was it. After the crash, you know, someone on wall street looked at the situation. And they were like, Holy crap. Like I can get a house built in 2008 in Vegas for $90,000. You can't build that. Like right. we need to buy up every single one of these right now. Yep. And they went and raised a bunch of money. And then they bought them up for 10 years in a row. And then they saw their returns and they got, you know, probably 50 plus percent returns and they were like dude 
this, I can't get this with a stock. Yeah. Like let's buy this. And so now you just have these people and these funds that are now competing against everyday people, the mom and pop investors like us. Yep. And like that's competition that did not exist before. Yeah. Right. And I think, I think for all the people that think that the market is going to crash because I, I can't believe how many people keep saying this. Just look at what Blackstone's doing. They're buying single family homes up every single day, even yep. now, like all these big hedge funds, they're all buying single family homes. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you? But Ryan, you make a good point. How does someone compete with that? Mm. Then that, so it goes back to the excuse game, right? So like, <laughs> oh man, the market's going to crash. That's why I can't get in. All right, fine. You've convinced me. The market's not crashing. But now I can't compete. It's just like, bro, at some point, you just can't make excuses. Mm -hmm. Like, you just have to go out there and make it happen. And, and the thing is with the hedge funds, like, they are not efficient, right? Mm -hmm. So like what Blackstone did... 10 years ago was just, they walked to the auction and they just bought every house that yeah, came up at hundred percent or 110%. Yeah. So that tells you they don't care. No, they're just mm -hmm. like, yeah. we're not in it to like optimize. They're not doing cold calling to sellers. They're not following up. Yeah. Like the things that we have to do, you know, allow us to still compete yeah. and anyone can do the things we do. Yeah. Cause they're, right. they're more like on an assembly line approach. Yeah. So they can't take the delicate procedures required to like really get the best deals versus they're over here paying 100, 110%. They, yeah, they would rather me go get the deals for them. And yep. They're like, I'll happily pay you a wholesale fee, dude. Because mm -hmm. I was saying, like, for example, let's say I'm a beginner. I don't know market. I don't know how it works. Find a mentor that already has the knowledge of what you should do and work to that person. Might as well. 100%. Yeah. So, Ryan, let me ask you this. Someone that's very well-versed in all, in all different aspects of real estate, whether it's wholesaling, flipping, and or, you know, buying and holding real estate. Someone wants to come in and, you know, get into real estate. They're, they're tired of maybe... Flipping or wholesaling because, you know, people are flaky, right? We know there's a lot of flaky investors. What steps should they, and they don't have that much capital. What steps should they take to get their first investment property? Well, I think, um, like Fresh was just talking about, I think you need a mentor or a coaching program, number one, right? Because yeah. if you don't know what you're doing, then it's going to be, be very like, painful. It's going to be hard, right? When I wanted to learn YouTube, I, w I went and bought YouTube courses from the people who were doing it, right? right? So whether you get my stuff or not, I don't care, but like you need some kind of mentor. Um, so that's number one. Number two, you got to focus on the deal, right? Because so many people will be like, well, Ryan, I'm looking at wholesaling, but what if I can't find a buyer for it? Mm -hmm. That's like the number one thing that scares them. And I'm like, guys, if you find a good deal, trust me, finding a buyer is not hard. Mm -hmm. There's a million Facebook groups, you know, with people hungry for deals. Yep. So the buyer, the buyer part's not hard. And even if you do screw up and you can't find a buyer, you still have a due diligence period. You can back out of the deal get your money back and it's no sweat off your back. So like getting rid of that stigma allows you to now just focus on the deal. How do I find a really good deal? And you know, basically we teach three ways to find deals. Okay. One is the MLS. So that's just any property that's available on the market. You can go on Zillow right now and just see what's available. Right. Second one is just referrals. So it's like, all right, whether that's a wholesaler, a realtor, you know, somebody from a moving company, just get around people who are doing real estate and, and let them know you're buying and they can refer you and you'll give them a fee if they get you a deal, right? The third way is direct to seller marketing, which we do a lot of. And that would be, you know, like we run a lot of TV commercials. So, you know, I've spent millions on TV ads mm, wow. um, over the years and it's made us millions of dollars, right? But we also cold call, we text message sellers, we send direct mail, you know, we got PPC, we do, we do all these things to get in front of the sellers directly. 
And, you know, when you go direct to seller, you are getting your best deal. There's no middleman, right? Mm -hmm. So we focus a lot of our efforts there, but, you know, it costs money to go direct to seller. Yeah. Yeah. So depending on your circumstance, if you've yeah, got some money. A beginner that might not have as much. Maybe yeah. they got 10, 20K. That's a lot of money. Yeah. If you got 10, 20K, I mean, I had 10K when I started flipping houses. Mm-hmm. Like in 2015, I had 10K saved up. It was like more money than I'd ever saved in my life. Mm-hmm. And I ended up having to max out my credit cards to get a down payment yeah. on my first deal. Um, so if you got 10 to 20K, you got no excuse for, for getting, getting started. It. Yeah. And now let's say they don't have any money. Yeah, and if you don't have, yeah, if you don't have any money, dude, what I would do is just number one, like go join like networking groups and other things who are doing real estate. Yeah, um, I think you could try and go work under somebody just to get the hang of it. Like, hey, I'll work for free. Like, mm-hmm. I will come into your operation. I'll I'll hit as many calls as you want me to hit. Like, I just need to develop my skills and talk to as many sellers and people as possible. Um, but if you don't want to go that route, you can still go get deals from the MLS that cost you nothing um, from referrals. Like it's all just sweat equity going out and finding deals. Yeah. Dri- doing Driving around and driving finding, finding distressed sellers that want to get rid of their property. Those those that end up being great, you know, 100 percent. But you'd be surprised these networks that you join. Someone in there has a property or they may have like some funds they want to put together with other people. You join that group, you make some friends. You never know what could happen. So oh, you're right. One thousand percent. Yeah. Commercial versus residential. What are your thoughts? You know, I'm in both. Um, A lot of people think that, you know, commercials like the big leagues. And Mm -hmm. I mean, to a degree, it is. I mean, you're you're doing bigger and bigger deals than you ever could residentially. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the audience real quick, anything over five, over five, five units and above is commercial. Yeah. Yep. Four units and below is residential. Yep. And, you know, like, Obviously, you could have a 10-plex. You could have a 300-unit apartment, right? Yeah. One of our apartments is 300 and some units, right? Oh. So, like, it varies on what you want to do with commercial. And then commercial also is like, all right, well, what about you could do storage units, mobile home parks, multifamily, strip malls. Like, uh, You get really creative with commercial. Land. There's so many, you know, things you can do with commercial, right? Mm-hmm. The thing with commercial that makes it fun versus single family is that Commercials evaluated on net operating income, income, right? Yeah. So basically, if you can come up with a way to increase how much money that property makes, you know, from all the rents and everything, you're going to raise the value. Whereas with single family, the market is what it is, yep. right? If the market drops, the market drops. Um, and, you know, that kind of happens with commercial, but like you have way more influence over raising its value. Yeah. Comparables like literally run residential. Like yeah. it, like if you got like, let's say you have a, a duplex and then they got another duplex on the other side, another one over here. You, they're going to base the value of the home on the other duplexes. Yep. You know, like let's say yours is really nice, though. And it's where <laughs> you think it's worth more because you really made it nice on the inside. They don't care. They're going to make it based on the comparables versus with the commercial. Like you were saying you have way more autonomy to increase the value of the of the property by, you know, putting in certain things. I remember, because uh, we went to one of Grant Cardone's seminars. He also came on our shows. One of the things he was saying that he does immediately when he purchases a property is um, he puts vending machines in there. Mm-hmm. And just by doing that um, and putting a laundry machine area as well, all of that just, like, dramatically increases the need. He's able to raise the rent by, like, 100, 200 bucks just off of that alone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, in commercial, there there's two ways to raise the value. You either, you know... Well, there's three ways, really. Like, okay, you know, you've got the actual tenant side of things where it's like, all right, you know, how can we decrease our vacancy and, and get more income coming in? 
can we raise the rents and everything and get it to produce more money? Okay. That's, that's one way. All right. What are some like creative ways to create new income that didn't exist before vending machines, laundromats, covered parking, you know, like there's a whole bunch of different amenity type things you can add yeah. that, that raise value. And then like the last one would be how do we decrease expenses, right? Like, can we set up meters so people can now start paying their own power? Can we, you know, set up other savings tactics that, you know, if you save $20,000 on a building um, per year, you could raise the value, you know, multiple six figures. Yeah. You yeah, made a good point. Get really creative with the, with the commercial. You made a good point. So one of my friends, right, had a huge complex for like, for example, for hosting cars, right? Car sales, all that stuff. And the market went down. She's like, okay, what's next I can do to raise property value and keep my, you know, money at stake? And he said, you know what? I'm getting cars out of here and create live events. So he made comedy shows in that building. He did live like shows for like artists, and then that revenue increased the value of the property as well. Yep. So one thousand percent. You're right. So, um, what do you are you? You said you do both. What do you focus more on, residential or commercial? Right now, I mean, to be honest. I don't spend a ton of time in my real estate businesses. I mean, mm -hmm. they've all got COOs who run the day to day mm -hmm. of all of them. Gotcha. So like, I would say I split my time equally cause it's, it's not a lot neither. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I can tell you is my goal isn't necessarily to grow my house flipping and wholesaling anymore. It's to grow the long-term portfolio now. So yes, that's going to be commercial, but even like what I was just saying with single family, like I kind of had a realization. This was like last week. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was like, man, you know what, right? Like we, we own these buildings in all these other states. Like we have them in Iowa and Georgia and, you know, all these things. And it's hard to control those being virtual, right? Yeah. We can mm -hmm. still do it, but it's harder than if it was just right here in Vegas. Yeah. And so I said, hey, let's start looking for commercial in Vegas only and see where it goes, right? And we've been having a harder time with it because, you know, when you're only confined to one market, there's just less deals versus before I was like, hey, if you got a deal, send it to me. I yep. was just using my platform yep. and you know, we would evaluate lots of deals. Yep. So by only being in Vegas, it's made it harder to get a deal. Yep. And I started thinking about it and I was Especially like, since it's a growing market. Correct. So yeah. Like in commercials, like going for crazy dollars here and you're like, man, none of these pencil out at their current prices, but people are paying for it. Yep. Right. And that shows the market's still hot. Yeah. But, um, they're buying it for appreciation, as you said yeah. before. Well, and the thing with commercial too, is a lot of these guys, you know, they have such big money behind them that they have to put the money to work. Mm. And so if they don't invest the money, they lose it. Mm. And somebody's going to go give, they're going to take their money, give it to another money. They could take manager. far more risk. Yeah. So they have to put their money and deploy it. Right. So they end up just using it. <laughs> Whereas we are like, Hey, I'm not buying unless it's my thing. But, uh, what I came to the realization was, you know what? Like I've built this machine that just gets all these single family deals like all the time. And like, I'm selling to the hedge fund people anyway. Why don't I just be the hedge fund? Yep. And mm. so that's basically what we're going to be starting. Like, so we're going to have a, a new fund starting that's going to buy, you know, single family in Vegas and we can just crank it because we already have the deals. I already have the construction. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's you already got an infrastructure full package. It, no, it's done. When you were told me you were fixing and flipping like <laughs> in 2020, when there was like supply chain stuff, I was like, kind of, I was like, wow. Cause like a lot of people aren't able to do that because a lot of these construction companies prioritize, you know, commercial and, and all this other stuff, but you built that relationship. So like now we're, we're going to stay working with, with Ryan. So like you already got the infrastructure to do it, bro. And I don't know why it didn't dawn on me earlier, 
But like, fuck you know. Blackstone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like, why am I keep selling these guys? Like, yeah. I watch them make all the billion. Why don't yeah. I just keep them? Yeah. Or, and and not even me, but like, we're gonna raise capital for my audience. Why not let them partake in it? Why yeah. can't we both be Blackstone instead of them? Yeah. Ryan, so just a quick question for you, brother. So, what do you say is more lucrative, or for example, more of a better business model, real estate itself or online? Uh, value add for example Ooh. like youtube you know promoting that uh, is services a, that's a good question dude this question cracks me up because i started in the real estate world that's how i made my first millions and mm. you know like i still have lots of friends in the real estate world and they do very well right but all my friends in the real estate world want to get in the digital space mm. you, know? you know because they're like they see what i've done and they're like bro like you can go make a million dollars a month you know selling education and I'm like, yeah. And they're like, dude, I need a coaching program. I need to get on YouTube. And I'm like, well, you know, you're going to have to put in a lot of work. Yeah. You know, like being known and getting attention is hard. Yeah. Um, Especially in today's TikTok era. What? Yeah, Cause, dude. Because you know what, what I've seen, bro? I've seen real estate investors that are making big money real estate. They start doing online stuff. Like, you know what? Damn, this is less stressful. I get way more skill. You know what? I'm going to put this more to the side, have someone run it for me, or focus on, the, on YouTube. Yeah. And I mean, that's basically what I did, right? So in 2020, when that happened, um, I made the conscious decision. I said, hey, you know what? At the time, I was still going out on seller appointments, getting deals and all that stuff. I was like, I'm going to delegate this off, and I'm not going on appointments anymore because I'm going to go make videos. Yeah. And a lot of people thought I was crazy because they were like, bro, like, you're going to go make videos? I was like, yeah, trust me. It's going to be big. And... You know, we lost money doing that on initially, right? Because like I'm closing deals, I'm the closer. And then, yeah. you know, somebody else is not as good as me. Yeah. And so it was a costly financial hit, but I knew in the long run, yeah, it was worth it. Starts it starts slow. Yeah. And like, you know, you guys know, like, dude, the first couple of months, like you're not getting any views yeah. or subscribe nope. and you're like just spinning your wheels nope. and then you finally have a breakthrough. You yep. get a, a video that pops and you're like, okay, like then let's you start do to hit the algorithm or yep. collaboration collab. And like for me, my couch flipping video was the turning point. Like I, uh, like all of a sudden this video just went viral, got millions of views on TikTok and everything. I was like, people want to hear about me flipping couches. <laughs> I'm trying to like teach them how to flip houses yeah. and build wealth. Like they yeah. want the couch flipping. Yeah. But it was like, I was like, man, people want me to do these side hustles. So I started doing Turo videos and, you know, all these like hustles and it resonated and it helped everything grow. And then it was kind of like the lead in. Real estate is intimidating to a lot of people. Yeah. It was so like, starting with couches and turos, like, go yeah. Away. And the audience will tell you what they want to watch. Yeah, exactly. And so I didn't, like, say, oh, this is stupid. I was like, all right, like, let's do it. Smart. So, you know, I, I started doing that. And then um, I saw my, you know, education business really scale. So, like, at the yeah. time, uh, I was making all my income from flipping houses. And, you know, in 2019, I maybe made, like, $50,000 in education. Like I had a course, I didn't really promote it. And yep. I threw an event, like small 10 person event, And that was it. Right. Then I do my first year on YouTube and the education business makes 700,000. And I was like, nice. okay, like that was way less risky. Was it, it a course or did you have like a coaching program? Okay. Yep, it was okay. a coaching program and you know, made 700,000 and I'm like, okay, like, I didn't have to flip any houses. Yep. It's more fulfilling helping people yep. flip their first house. And it's like easier to scale to your yep. point, right? Was it like Zoom call, subscriber based? Uh, yeah. A, so like my first standalone course, my first program, um, we had a couple of Zoom calls a week. Um, we had a few masterminds that year Sweet. and, 
you know, that was, that was the program. Right. And there was a course and everything. And so like our students loved it and it just was going great. Year two, um, I ended up bringing another guy on to help me coach. His name's Brian Davila. He's now my partner. And, um, he goes, Hey, let's start a second program. This one's for rookies who are just getting started. You handle the experienced people and let's grow. I said, great. So we started this new program and you know, we went from 700 grand to like almost 4 million nice. the next year. And this was all organic. There was no ads or anything. Right. And then, you know, in 2022, we did almost 10 million across education. And then, you know, this year our goal is to do over 20 million. And it's like, bro, the scalability of that is with having an audience is huge. It's significantly higher. Plus it's way more rewarding. It's way more fulfilling. Like me, going trying to go from 100 flips to 300 a year has like no purpose right it's like why just numbers at that point what's the point yeah right like and there's no like what's why even take the risk yeah like my time and energy could be spent doing something that's more fulfilling more scalable less risky why wouldn't i do that helping people achieve financial freedom is going to be more bro, satisfying than yeah you know what we got to do what that youtube course bro before the show I was like Podcasting so tell too. me like what you guys do with all the attention and everything you get i was curious because they want to learn how to yeah, do no, podcasting because we're see with us we we try to so we do have courses and stuff but we release them every now and then yeah I, I never want it to be like salesy like hey buy our course buy our course buy our course i like to just give free value just free yeah. just free uh stuff on you know getting girls making money etc and then you know i'll invest on my end with real estate personally i won't like, yeah. take people's money because i'm very cautious. I don't want to take people's money and feel like I have to give them an ROI. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, people have been asking us like, yo, drop a YouTube course, yo, drop a real estate course, whatever. And it's just, that I just don't want to be too salesy. You know what I mean? But <laughs> I could see why obviously you are able to help quite a bit of people when you do that, especially if your product is good. Well, you know, like, trust me, I was the same way. So by nature, I'm introverted, right? Like yeah. when I was playing baseball, dude, I would just sit in my like little clubhouse stall and like just chill. Like I wasn't the center of attention or any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was that way in real estate too. Like I was like, dude, you know, I'm doing well. I don't want to brag and like tell people what I'm doing. But one of my mentors was like, Hey, you know, if you want to get more deals and help more people, you got to tell people what you're yeah, doing. You to, yeah. Right. right. And I was like, all right. So I start telling people and then I get more investors. I'm able to flip more houses and get more deals. And like, I see, I'm like, okay, this, this is good for my business, for my investor. Like this is good. And then, you know, I go into 2020 and before 2020, I was like, dude, I do not want to be a guru. I do not want to be like a sales guy. Yeah. You know, people, that's how we, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> people will buy my stuff if they really like it. Right. Mm -hmm. And people will. Right. But, you know, I actually, I became pretty close with Cardone mm -hmm. and he said something to me that really stuck out mm -hmm. and it really, and him and Russell Brunson, if you guys know who he is, yeah. mm -hmm. um, they both kind of said the same thing and they were like, look, if you have knowledge that people want and you're an expert in this and it can change lives and, and everything else, right? It's not really fair to them if you're not doing everything possible to help them get it, right? Mm. Like, because if I believe my coaching program can drastically change your life and I'm just kind of like, hey, buy it if you want, whatever. Yeah. Like, I'm kind of doing you a disservice mm -hmm. by not really like, yo, dude, you seriously need to be in it. Yeah. Right. Cause we fight for things we believe in. Of course. Right. right. Of course. And that that's kind of how I am today. Where I'm like, dude, I've seen success after success. Yep. You need to be in it. Right. And if you don't want to be in it, it's no sweat on my back. Like, but like you really should. 
versus just being like passive about it. Like, yeah. uh, and to be honest with human nature, <laughs> right? When people, I've always said it, when people pay money, then they pay attention. Oh, bro, you once you have mean? skin in the game, yeah. you're going to act different. Yeah, that's when you start to take things seriously. Like, giving free value is always awesome, and I always love to do that, and I prefer to do that. But at the same time, i got to be realistic with myself. People get the most results when they actually spend money on the product and or the information. And they actually appreciate it once they pay for it. Yeah. So it that, makes them take, take, take Well, and, like, the thing, so, like, information is freely available, right? Yeah, like, of course. you can go learn how to flip a house. You do not need me to learn how to flip it, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, why pay? Well... One is time. It's like, dude, you can go spend a whole year trying to go find the right video on YouTube. You don't know if it's legit or not. Yep, <laughs> like, yep. And then yeah. trial and error. <laughs> trial and error. You don't have any kind of feedback from anyone to correct you on the things you're doing. Like, So you're paying for more than information. You're paying for speed. You're paying for systems. You're paying for feedback. And you're also paying for community. Like When you see somebody come into a program with you, you both are at zero, and that person does it, you're like, Bro. You had the competitive elements into it. Yeah, like, yep. Fresh can do it, dude. Like, anyone can do it. Yeah. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. So it's oh, funny. Uh, I created a network, right, of guys called the CEO Network. And there's guys in there that are, like, legit at a regular job, but they want to succeed in life. I'm sure your program is similar as well, where people come inside of it, and they're like, you know what? I want to get value or add value as well. But that network and that community breeds you to want to do better because, once again, it's accountability. If yeah. I want to become better, and my friends are not doing better themselves, I'm like, all right. I'm at square one. I don't know how to progress. But if people are doing better in my community as well, like, damn, you know what? If you can do it, I can do it as well. So that's so true, bro. Oh, bro. So true. Yeah, dude. It's like just it compounds. You're like, oh, he did it. He did it. Like, I can do it. The biggest thing for me is like, you know what? I don't know if I can do it, but if you can do it, why can't I do it? 100%. That's, that's my biggest thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's a good point uh, that Grant Cardone made to you. You know, mm -hmm. and people hate on him and everything, but he's wildly successful. So fuck the haters, right? <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> right. Everybody that that talks shit about him. Oh, he's scammer, liar. Uh, he's pretty successful. You guys can hate all you want, but yeah. I mean, you know, every successful person's getting hate. Like yeah, Elon Musk gets hate every day. Everybody, like, bro. It's part <laughs> of the it's game. It's crazy. It's if part you, of the game. If you can't handle it, then I'm, yeah. I don't know what to say. Because I like Grant. Um, we've yeah. met him in person a few times. He's a nice guy. Yeah. I, you remember what he did to me? Oh, so, yeah. so I went on his show a couple years ago, right? Whatever it takes. And I was a huge fan of Grant Cardone. I wanted to be a part of his group, whatever. And the, the contest was basically, for example, if you win a contest, you get to work for him for that whole year. Oh. So you know what? I'm working a regular job. I hate it. Taking phone calls all the time. I'm going to bust my ass, leave a Boca Raton, go to Miami. Mm -hmm. So I went to Miami, excited, man. Had my best shirt on. I got a fresh haircut. Had all the books in my bag. I go to the uh, contest, right? I passed the first stage. Pretty good. Second stage is like, sell me the water. Mind you, I'm nervous as hell. This is my, my <laughs> and it's Grant and his guy. Yeah, Grant and Jerry, oh, Jerry Grant. Glass. Interview yeah, oh, okay. interviewed him. Yeah, it's like some of the water. I'm it's like, on YouTube. It's hilarious. <laughs> I'll have to watch the, it. The question was, some of the water or some of yourself? I was like, you know what? I can sell myself. You know, I'm on the way up. I got it. He's like, no. Some of the water. I'm like, damn, what do I do? So I froze up, did a little stutter here and there. And he said, like, you know what? Jared, what do you think? He's like, give him one more chance. You know what? I have a property here in uh, Texas with a bee problem. How do I get rid of the bees, Walter? I'm like, uh, uh, I froze up. I was like, I don't know. Look on Google. <laughs> long, long story short, Jared was oh. like, last question, uh, Walter, how much money do you want to make working, work, working for us? I was like, 100K. He's like, you, don't have, you don't have whatever it takes. Too low. Get out of here. Yep. So Keep that moment <laughs> was like, on, it, it was embarrassing, but it taught me that like, you know what? I'm shooting too low. I don't have whatever it takes. So what, what did it make me do? Go back home. I was feeling down. But I knew that moment in time, bro, if I didn't prove, I'm not going to get it anywhere. So even though, like, 
you know, we have these issues in life. I'm saying, for example, being in that community like yours or like mine or like our podcast, bro, helps you a lot. Yeah. Oh, 1,000%. Yeah. Like, I, uh, it's funny because, you know, part of our structure is like I teach this thing called make, manage, multiply. And so step one in make is you got to make 250 doing one skill because everybody's trying to do all these different side hustles and like it's not allowing them to master any one skill. Mm -hmm. It's like you guys mastered podcasting. And so now you're wildly successful and you can use those skills to do whatever you want. Right. Yeah. I mastered house flipping that allowed me to build a business and do a bunch of other things. Yeah. But like everyone is like, Oh, I got a Turo here. I got one Airbnb. It's like, no, you're, you're not a master of anything. So I'm always like, let's help you get a skill that can make you 250 K a year. Cause that's really like when you're making like good money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I get a lot of hate on that because people are like, dude, you don't need to make 250 to, to make good money. You can make 100000 And I'm like, bro, try telling a guy that who's got two kids, yeah. a spouse, Seriously. lives in California. Yeah. He is not, he's not doing well. Yeah. yeah. So. 100000 you're barely making it, man. No. Yeah, especially in these, you know, more <laughs> New York City, California, like, no. yo. <laughs> I said 100 k they laughed at me, bro. But come to final full circle, we meet him at an event. He's like, you know, bro, I was wrong. You do have whatever it takes. So mm, it worked yeah. out. That's cool. It worked out. That's um, awesome. So we talked quite a bit about real estate. Um, what other assets are you uh, invested in that you could talk about? Um, so I got an NFT project. And so I, I was heavy in crypto and NFTs. And I'm super bullish on that, like, long term. Okay. Uh, definitely not <laughs> flipping. Yeah. Like, if you're going to try You're and buying and holding uh, coins? Um, not even that right now. Like, I'm bullish on the technology. Okay. okay. So Blockchain? Yeah. Like, okay. I, I'm, I'm all about like what blockchain and AI and tech are going to do. So like I'm thinking about, okay, the next blockchain bull run is going to be here in a couple of years. Yep. Um, I want to be positioned for that. Mm. And not as just like a guy who's buying Bitcoin or Ethereum, but a guy who's like... You're investing in infrastructure, yeah. not just the coins. <laughs> the technology behind it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I want to build the businesses that are going to explode okay. in the next two years. Smart. That's what I'm trying to do. Cool. Any other asset classes that you're in? Dude, I don't do any stocks. No I, stocks at all. No, I, dude, I couldn't even tell you anything about stocks. I have no idea what's happening in the market. And I think it just goes back to master a skill. Focus on yeah. Yeah, what you know. I know real estate. That allowed me to be who I am. It allowed the doors to open for YouTube and everything else and allowed me to like learn how to run a business. And that's yeah. all I do. I do not know how to look at stock charts. <laughs> I don't know any of that. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, and you know, it's funny because, um, you know, I, I, I've always said like it's, Great to be diversified, but at the same time, like, I mean, I am a little biased. I think real estate is by far the best asset class when it comes to tax benefits, cash flow, appreciation, the ability to borrow borrow against it without Leverage. taxes, you, using yeah. the banks to get the money. Like, mm. you know, I have crypto and index funds and stuff like that, too. But, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm biased. I think real estate is by far the best asset Pe class. People have been fighting over land since the beginning of time. Bam. People always need a place to live, man. No yeah. matter what. Yeah. Um. Nice piece over there you got. I see you got the presidential day date. Yeah. Uh, that is, the, if I'm not mistaken, the rose gold. Yep. Rose right? gold. Wait yep. a minute. Chocolate face. We're all wearing Rolexes today. Yeah, we're all wearing Rolexes. Pepsi. Pepsi and you got a... Sky Dweller. Sky Dweller. Do you invest Ooh. in watches too or... I just got into watches recently. So I've got um, three now. I got a Patek, a couple of Rolexes. Patek, nice. You got a Patek. Um, Which Patek you got? Dude, I honestly don't even know what it's called. My partners um, got it for me as a gift. Okay. Oh, so nice. That's at least 100. It was, bare minimum. It was Dude, good. they're going up in value, Pateks. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, they are. Um, I had an AP Royal Oak Offshore. I recently sold it. Oh, wow. but, but you well, you probably able to sell it at a nice profit though, right? You know, I actually so I bought it like a year and a half ago, uh -huh. and I made a bunch of videos with it. I got like twenty million plus views from just that, and I was yeah. like, 
all right. And I enjoyed it for a year and a half. And then I went back to my dealer and I was like, bro, you know, honestly, like it's kind of like not my style anymore. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I'll buy it back from what you bought it for. Like, you know, I could have probably got like another 5k or something, but mm -hmm. I'm like, it don't matter. That's fair. Yeah. What'd, yeah. what'd you, what'd you pay for it versus selling it? Uh, well, I, I sold it back to him for the same price. I paid like oh, okay. 40, 45k for it, and you got you sold it back for 45. Yeah, yeah so you basically you, broke yeah, even. Yeah, 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 broke but even. I got I got to use it for the, a year. For and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, That's and, not bad at all. And, and and honestly, if you had wanted to, you could have. I could have flipped it. You could have flipped it for made more, but like ah, at that point, it's like whatever. And he's my. I'm gonna. We're gonna do deals all the time, right? So right. the relationship sometimes is better yeah. than making a little bit of money. And and the thing is too, because I've uh, I've gotten into watches myself recently, just like you. We had uh, Nico Leonard on, and we talked watches and everything else like that. Yeah, between Rolex and everything, and you know, obviously, it's not like I don't think it's the best asset class to invest in as like a primary class, but I yeah. think it's like a fantastic way to store some money. You know, especially nowadays with how inflation is going crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I think if people just buy the right watches, right, APs are great. Patex, yeah. uh, you buy certain pieces from Rolex, you'll you'll be straight as far Yo, as like holding money. He must love you, bro. I got to watch. I get the watch back, sell it for profit. <laughs> his, his dealer. Oh yeah, yeah, he was yeah. Love yeah. Brian. I mean, yeah. And you bought it. Uh, and and it, did you buy it like with an AD or did you buy it like uh, gray no, market? Aftermarket. Or? Yeah. It was aftermarket. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, but APs are good. I picked one up too. I was recently in Dubai, and those. And when I was talking with Nico, uh, he was saying, and every watch expert that I've spoken to have said this universally that APs uh, hold value the best because there's only like forty thousand of them made a year. Mm -hmm. So Rolex makes a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and they're trying to ramp up production, but you can't find a Rolex anywhere nowadays. It's tough. Yeah. But you know what Patrick but David told me was that Rolex is a nonprofit. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's crazy. <laughs> and you, oh, you know, it's funny. All the stores now have no watches, bro. No. Walk inside, no. none. Th none. There hasn't been a watch in a store for like years. Yeah, oh, wow. I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> from from what I was, uh, what I've been hearing from watch experts, they're saying like it's they're ramping up production now, but um, they won't be able to like have watches like actually fully in stock for like another three to five years. Wow, it's crazy. So it's wild. It's you got to like sell a limb to get a, a watch at you know retail price nowadays. So Ryan, 100%. just to close out here, unless you got some more questions, um, what would you say is one key thing someone could learn? from your experience to help them move forward and be successful? One thing that you learned throughout your period of time, I guess, from real estate and business, you could, one gem you could drop for the people here on a podcast. You know, the biggest gem I could drop is that it, it goes back to what I was saying about stage one, right? Find a way to make 250K. And if you're trying to be successful in business, it all starts with developing that one skill. Mm -hmm. And do everything you can to learn that one skill. Like if, if you're choosing flipping or wholesaling, go all in at it. Do, don't waste your time with Turo. Don't waste your time with all this other stuff. Be mm. like, I'm going all in at this. I'm, I'm getting a mentor to teach me this. I'm going full force, no distractions. And I'm going to give it, you know, enough time. I'm not going to quit after a month. I'm going I'm to give it six months and really see if this is going to be for me. Awesome. I like that. I like that tip because at 250, you'll make enough money where then you can go ahead and start to split off into other side hustles because you'll have excess income to invest in those other endeavors so mm -hmm. i like that that's smart um but where can people find you man yeah dude um i mean we got lots of different businesses and things um i mean on social media you can just search ryan pineda mm -hmm. um if you're interested in like a lot of this real estate stuff we're talking about wealthyinvestor.com yep and, is that uh, how they can invest with you um they can invest with me through pineda capital.com yeah. okay and that's where we're going to be buying these you know apartments and single families and, and what's everything. your group that people can join for mentorship it's Wealthy Investor. Yep. It. So WealthyInvestor.com for real estate. Cool. Bam. We'll put all the links below, guys, so you can go check them out. But uh, thank you for having us uh, on your beautiful studio here. No, no. This is our studio, bro. Well, the, well yeah. We're the captain. Get out of yeah. here, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thanks for le letting us borrow the studio. Yeah. And it, it was a great interview, man. Appreciate you guys, man. Thanks for coming by. Absolutely, man. We'll thanks, catch bro. you guys on the next one. Peace. Peace. Peace.